Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I appreciate y'all being here this morning. The, um, my name is David Carroll. I think almost everybody knows me here. Ted brought, his, brought his, the rest of his family, and we appreciate that. And, um, my role here is I'm one of the elders, and our pastor and uh, the other elder are out. And so, you know, this biblical model of eldership you know, our role is teaching. So everybody comes and says, I hear you're preaching this morning, but mainly I'm teaching. And the subject this morning is one we've been on um, for, this is the sixth part of a eight or nine part series on how we're saved. Okay? And John Hugh gave me the topic of right. Okay? So that's like, where does that come from? What does that word mean or? Where are we coming from as far as, like, talking to you all? So if you look at the, the series that we've done so far, we've talked about before. This is, you know, the where we talked about predestination and God preparing us ahead of time, hearing the word, and then not only that, but, you know, by sitting here, we also are called to share the word. Um, we need to be changed, and we rely on the Holy Spirit for that. Uh, faith. You just have a, have a little small amount, and then as you grow in the church and grow in this body together, then that leads you forward in your, in your walk. And then the sermon that John Hugh preached before was on uh, repentance. And so we have this plan of salvation over time that's laid out. So we're basically going through that. So now we're to the point where we want to talk about right And I'll give you some definitions of what right means, righteous, righteousness. And so when we start talking, we'll talk about that. Um, But it's it's all about this plan of salvation. And, you know, John, he, and Chris, like in our last elder meeting, we get together, we pray for everybody's special needs, meet for a couple hours, usually on Wednesday afternoon. Um, They go, man, we're going to throw you a softball and... When you get up there and talk, you're just coming back from Honduras, you could throw that in there, and man, this is an easy talk. (laughs) To me, it's very weighty, because if you look at some of the guys like Martin Luther, uh, Bunyan, great theologians of our time, they did not start their great theological journey until they got the point that we're going to talk about today. And to me, that is, like, very weighty, more than you can imagine. So when you're in the jungle of Honduras, no cell phone, no text, no Internet service most of the time, um, you know, you just got your Bible, and you got to sit down and look at it, try to, try to figure out where to take this. And that, that's kind of tough. And, you know, some of these subjects we're talking about, Cassie and I stayed up one night for about two hours talking over this. So if there's anything unclear or that weighs on you, then please, you know, get with us later on and meet with us. And so I I don't want, you know, this is, even though they think they've thrown me a big softball, I'm telling you, this is is kind of a tough subject. So when we we talk about uh, this subject... There are usually three hard questions that come. And these are three hard questions that really, um, Jay and I were on the plane flying down to Honduras and sitting next to each other and said, man, 
I, I got to run something by you. And one of his questions was, you know, people search, they look at Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Muslim, Jew, Christian. So what's the difference between all these? Is there any difference? You know, hey, this person can be right, this person can be right, this can be right. And a lot of people, including recently Tim Keller, have taken a lot of heat over answers to that question, religion. So I'm going to kind of, kind of weave that in, the, in here today, why that's important. You know, um, not going to spend a lot of time on the distinction between those, but you know, there are some that when it gets down to what we believe in Christianity comes from what we're going to talk about today and what separates us. Okay. So second question is, a lot of young people come right in the church and say, why did Jesus have to die for us? Why couldn't God, why is God not a forgiving God? Why can't he just say, you ask for forgiveness, God himself forgives you. Okay, why did Jesus have to die in order to answer that question? And that bugs a lot of people. A lot of people say they cannot fathom the whole Christian experience, the whole thing, because they hung that guy right there, a nice little sweet little sheep, right in his hand. They hung him on a cross, stabbed nails through him, pierced him in the side, gave him you know, vinegar to drink. Why did that have to happen so that we could be right? Okay, So that's where, that's where I'm headed as far as, like, given this topic, right. Okay, So uh, basic definition... The definition of right, and I just looked this up in the dictionary, you can do that same, is morally or socially correct or acceptable. Okay? Righteous, acting on accord with either divine or moral law. Righteousness, the state of moral perfection required by God to enter heaven. That's a big one. Okay? Perfection in order to enter heaven. So, show of hands, who in here is perfect? Yeah, my hand's not going up either. So, what we have to do is draw a line from, when we talk about righteousness, perfection to heaven, and how we make that happen. Can we make that happen? The answer is no. Okay? Um, so, let's, let's talk about first, what is the issue? What's, what's the main issue? Okay? The main issue gets down to the character of God. Okay? God is a loving God, but God, through that definition of righteousness, requires us to be perfect and holy before we can, can meet him. Now, there's all kinds of analogies you can use. Okay? One of them is, let's say you take... I'll take myself. I tell Austin he's got to clean his room... He wants to do something later in the evening, go to a concert or whatever. I say, okay, you have to clean your room before you go to that concert, okay? And he's behind in school, behind getting ready for school because he gets up at like five minutes till eight. Boom, (laughs) out the door, okay? And, you know, I kind of want him to go to the concert. I want him to have a good life and take advantage of things. So I clean his room for him while he's at school. Okay. He gets home and says, man, i got to get up there and clean my room so I go to this concert. Well, it's already clean. Okay. So his room is 
basically perfection. One of the situations he's in now is like, okay, well, my room is clean, so technically I can go to the concert, okay? What we're talking about here is what it takes to make that step from my room is clean to I get to go to the concert, what, what's in the middle there? And basically it takes an apology, which is, sorry, Father, I didn't get my work done. I appreciate you doing it for me. And then he's allowed to go to the concert. It's that whatever it takes to make that step is what it takes to make us right. Okay. So um, one of the things about God is God hates certain things. So we're going to go quickly through these so you don't need to look them up and be patient through your Bibles. Go. Just some examples of what God hates. Okay. So you want to show us uh, Exodus 20? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Exodus 20, 1 through 17. There we go. Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Have idols before me. Adultery. Coveting your neighbor. Those kind of things. Okay? Uh, Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates. Okay? So the, the Lord, the reason why he wants us to be in heaven is because he loves us. And he wants to share in his glory with us. But, you know, the opposite of love is also hate. So six things, abomination to him, haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, false witness that bears out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. Recognize anything in your normal life? It may fit under that. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Anybody recognize that in their daily life? Okay. So when we're talking about sin, that's things we do wrong. There are other verses that say anything you do wrong, feel wrong. You know, God gives us that. We are created in the image of God. And the way that people like C.S. Lewis knew that there was a God is because that feeling of morality has to come somewhere from somewhere deep inside so you know these things are wrong. Okay? So anything you do wrong, and other verses tell you that. Okay? So, God hates sin, okay? So, but he loves us, okay? So, how do we separate the two so that we can get that definition of righteousness, okay? So, this gets kind of tricky because it requires what? Forgiveness, okay? What happens in your life deep down when you are, somebody wrongs you? You want, it, you want what's called justice, correct? You want them to suffer as you have suffered. You want them to pay a price, okay? So you go out and you exact that price on them. That's called revenge, correct? Okay. Then what they do is now they've been wronged, and then they're going to come and exact their revenge on you. Does it make you feel better to revenge on somebody? No. 
in order, <laughs> I see some, some heads going, yeah. <laughs> so, I can tell you honestly, over time, it doesn't, okay? So what happens if you just say, I know you've wronged me, it's cost me, sometimes financially, sometimes reputation, sometimes physically, it's cost me, personally, cost. Who's going to pay that cost? The, when you get down to the issue of forgiveness, somebody has to pay that cost. If it's not the person that wronged you, who's it going to be? It's going to be you, right? You are going to pay that cost yourself. And when you forgive somebody in that situation, the cost can sometimes be uh, dealt with with severe suffering on your part, okay? But you are paying that by forgiving that person. Somebody runs, out, runs into your car, smashes the side, and you've got to get it fixed, $2,000. You don't want to go smash their car. You have to pay that. That's one of those physical responses to paying forgiveness. God is no different as far as that. When we sin, when we sin against him and things he hates, he requires some payment from us. So back in the old days, back in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, what did they require? You had to find a sheep without blemish and bring it to the altar, put your hand on its forehead, and, and slaughter it. That was the payment. So we have now a new covenant that we're going into. Now, I don't know if all of y'all know or not, but they've already had another shooting this morning in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is where the young man died um, from a police shooting about a week ago, week and a half. So now retaliation has happened again today. People are now shooting the police. We don't know how many. Don't know if any of them have been killed or not. That, that is where we need our world turned upside down by the forgiveness of Christianity. Okay? So, I'm going to talk about that next. So, that transformation can only come out of love. Okay? So, you have to give up something. So, main issue is we all need God's forgiveness. So the next question is how, okay? Let's show that next picture. So when we're in Honduras, this is, we normally go down there and we build houses for needy families, okay? And in my opinion, this community went into is the essence of Christian love, Okay? They went into the community ahead of time with uh, Cassie and Danielle, who was the leader down there, works for Salt and Light. They went to the community and said, we want to come in and do something for you. And they picked the house, the family that they thought was the most needy in the community. Sometimes we go down there, and that's not at all the case. They pick the friend of a friend. But in this case, they have a whole distinct, new distinction in that community, which is we want to take care of the least, okay? So they picked this family right there, Marta, Minor, and Esther, okay? 
So we went, we started building their house. She was actively involved in the building process, climbing the ladders, laying bricks, doing all that kind of stuff, which is also kind of unusual for us. Um, all the other kids in the community around, volunteers from the community helping, which is also unusual for us to see. Lots of labor, more than, you know, our team is about 50% larger just because people in that community volunteered their time, not only in this house project, but on the school project. Labor's a love for this family. They both said, we've been praying and praying and praying for God to help us. Same thing when we delivered the bags of food. There were two families that we delivered food to them, and they said, we didn't know what we are going to eat tomorrow. And you brought above and beyond what we've ever seen, which is sausages in a little bag. They don't have that in that village for the poor families. Just crying and pouring out tears. That boy right there, he had such a weight on his heart because he had made a promise to his mother that he was going to one day build her a house. And the people of this church, our community, their community, provided that home. And it was a giant release on his heart that's rarely seen. Okay? So that's the kind of release that we want to get from the next part is how we get to righteousness. Okay? So... In order to move, to get that perfection for heaven, we have to somehow, God forgive us for our sin. And it's not through, anymore through slaughtering defenseless little animals. Okay? So now this gets us to our question is, why did Jesus have to die? Okay? This is a term um, that comes from forgiveness absorbing the debt of sin. Okay, so some, somebody or something has to absorb our sin. Okay? It's a term that a lot of people don't know or don't see very often called the great exchange. Okay? Keller calls it the great reversal. And the, the basic premise is, is that Jesus died on the cross so that he could exchange with us. Okay? And so Emily Jer- Jernigan gave us a really good thing where basically you have two books, okay? One says Jesus on the other side, and one has our name on the outside. You take the pages of this book and leave the cover. You take the pages of this book, you leave, a co- leave, leave the cover. You take these pages and your pages and ex- in, insert it in Jesus' book, and his pages into yours. So what happens to you when you do that? You are now perfect because Jesus was perfect, okay? So now when God looks at your book, He's going to see what? When he opens the book with your name on it, what's he going to see? He's going to see your page. His, they're going to see Jesus' pages in your place. Okay? That is a concept that is very difficult to grasp for a lot of people. Because there are a lot of verses in the Bible that say, God hates this, and if you don't ask for his forgiveness and you don't do this, then you're going to hell. Okay? So, and that's, that, that concept is very difficult because you read one verse that says, if you don't ask for forgiveness, you're going to hell. And, that, and is that every day? Is that every moment? Every second after you sin? What happens if you don't ask forgiveness right before you die? 
What about rewards in heaven? You know, judgments. Two judgments that we learned in Revelation. It gets very complicated. But on the big picture is, when God, Jesus, is making us right, we're exchanging his qualities for ours. Okay? Show the next verse, please. So this is the big turning point that a lot of people say is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Okay? It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, one exchange, so that in him we might become righteousness of God. Okay? So now you see the switch. See why this is so powerful? See why I get so nervous about having to stand up in front of you guys when he just says, I'm throwing you a softball? And this is, this is it. You won't find this in any other religion. Muhammad doesn't say, I lay my life down for you so all you guys can go to heaven. Buddha didn't say that. Hinduism says, and, and, and Buddhism just say, you know, hey, if you die and you were good, you're going to come back as another person. If you're really good, you might come back as a president of a country. If you die and you did all bad all your life, you're going to come back as a worm. Okay? <laughs> the difference in Christianity is somebody died for you so that you can have a place at the right hand of God with Jesus through the faith and salvation of Jesus. So why is the cross important? Because Jesus willingly, you know, Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying, bloody tears are coming out, why me, Lord? He did that voluntarily knowing his place on this earth was for that purpose. So if anybody asks you, or tells you that, why did they have to kill Jesus? You know the answer. That separates us as Christians from every other religion on earth. Somebody paid our price so that we could have eternal life and glory forever. Show us the next verse, please. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the answer, okay? He had to die to replace for us. And what do we call that? We call that substitutional sacrifice, okay? See, lots of kids in here, when they're babies, you can't just, like, put them in their crib and go do your own thing, right? You can't have a selfish life. What happens if you do, you go do your own thing, like, partying and going out with your friends and all that stuff, you leave your baby in the crib at home, what's going to happen to them? They're not going to survive that, are they? You personally have to make some kind of sacrifice for your child. Kids, young people, young adults in here, if you didn't realize that, that's what your parents are doing and have done for you all through your younger life. And you're going to do that for your own families, okay? That's called substitutional sacrifice. It costs in order to do that. It, somebody has to pay the price in order to do that sacrifice for you, okay? Why did they do that? 
Well, some people do it out of, that's just the thing that has to be done. You know, I'm a good person, I got to do that, got to be done. Why do most people do that? They do it out of love, okay? God is the same way. He sent his substitutional sacrifice for us in order to make us right out of love, okay? Does that make sense to everybody? Um, so, he did that, so he can't just forgive us for all this stuff just from his high throne in the heavens. If somebody tells you they're going to do something for you, whatever it is, um, for them to really know how they're doing something for it, really impacting your life, how do they, how do they know that? Or how do you know that? They're doing something that they know is an impactful thing on your life. They have to physically be where you are. And they have to make that sacrifice at your level. Let's show us this next picture. So there's a dirty young man down in Honduras helping build. Next one. There's another dirty young man showing the love of Jesus to those children. Nothing simple. He's not really giving them anything. They're not doing anything. They're just taking their time to go down and get that substantial or uh, substitutional sacrifice on that level. Okay? You don't think it costs you? You see that big project on I-55 going up over there? The guy that's building that is not me. It's the other guy <laughs> in the picture. You think you, it's not a sacrifice to leave town and go down to Honduras jungles for a week when you got all that mess going on, on the side of the thing? So now we're seeing what it takes. You have to physically give something of yourself in order to do that. So in order to, for God to relate to us, he had to send somebody down here in human form that was God so he could relate to us and see what our suffering was, our needs are, all those kind of things. Get down on our level. We, we require that as well. We're in trouble. Okay? Um, so, this is where we're beginning to turn the world upside down. Okay? So, what happens to us as Christians... So now we've done the how, the what, what, the reason behind all this stuff, the how we do it, okay, or the why, and then we want to look at, um, sorry, the how, and now we're going to look at the why, okay? We want to get, claim that righteousness so that our sins can be forgiven because we all want what? Everlasting life. The problem I have with atheism, and you all have heard me say that from up here before, there's got to be more in life than you're born, life is hard, and then you die. Okay? Some religions, you're born, life is hard, you die, and you come back as a rock. Or if you look at, at um, Buddhism, this isn't real. It doesn't matter what we do. We just try to be good people and live a good life. Don't disappoint people. And then once it's over, it's over. Okay? Everlasting life, Jewish and Muslim, is 
work, 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 try to be the best person, the best person you can, and see what happens on the scale at the end. There's nobody that can tell you, I'm dying for you personally so that you can have everlasting life. Okay, that's the difference. So, <clears throat> what happens when we get that substitution? We ought to be like Jesus. Romans 3, 21 through 26 talks about righteousness through faith, that we have to have faith, which has a different talk that's coming up in the future. Next, Colossians 3, 12 through 16, sort of the same thing. Okay? Christ died for us, and that we have to have faith in order to claim that righteousness. You can't just come to church, meet with your friends in small group. You have to claim that through faith and physically accepting that. Next. So here comes the big ones. How do we know that somebody is actually claiming that faith through righteousness? Righteousness through faith, sorry. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Kids song, right? From Vacation Bible School. Okay. Against those things there is no law. Okay, so that when you're looking at somebody, so don't look at me too close if you wouldn't mind, so some of those like patience, but those are the fruit. When you see somebody who's beginning to display this upside down turn in the world instead of like in Baton Rouge, what's going on? Well, they hurt us, so we're going to hurt them. These are the things you're looking for. Okay, next. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Interesting verse. Let's say I told you there was, I buried $10,000 out in the yard of this church somewhere two years ago when we first moved in. And you go out, and I tell you, it's out there. It's for whoever wants it. It's out there. How many holes do you think will get dug? What kind of heat will, will people go through in order to dig up the yard of this church so that they can find that $10,000? Anybody want to guess? I bet the whole place would be dug up. What this verse tells you, in order to get these things and get this, what I'm talking about today, you have to basically dig like you're digging for hidden treasure. But the hidden treasure is in your Bible. It's in Jesus. It's in God. So the parable of the rich young ruler, he came and said, I want to believe in you, Jesus. I want to follow you. And he says, fine. Give up everything you own and come join me. That's a guy who placed his treasure somewhere else other than Jesus, okay? Um, so I hope that I've done this justice because I think it's really important. And it's more than just a softball being thrown, really and truly. Um, I, when we talk about this, just that thing of people in this congregation and how we relate to each other, Okay? Let's say I go over by the project down here on I-55 and I tell you that I ran across the road 
and got hit by a semi-truck going 75 miles an hour there. Would you believe me? Look at me. It happened this morning on the way to church. <laughs> no. What would I look like? It looked like I'd been smashed and I wouldn't be here, I bet you. Same way with Christianity, this upside-down world. You can tell. Look for the people who look like they've been run over by a truck or have some evidence of either Christian fruits of the Spirit or if they have troubles, you can pick that out. You can see who across here is having trouble. As a congregation, as my job to shepherd this group is to help people connect, okay, so we can turn our world upside down. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for showing us that you're a big God and a great God. We just come to you humbly, just asking that this message sink in deep into our hearts and our minds and our souls, that we can continue to flourish as a church, knowing that it's not this building, it's us here. Help us to turn our world upside down. Just help us to continue to see who you are, see, see who Jesus is and how we can be more like Jesus. Just uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here and to continue to flourish in our upside down world and show us how to impact those around us and spread this message of how we're different. Just thank you so so much for Jesus and all he means to us. In your name we pray, amen.